y'all. Good. So something funny just to kind of, you know, get us just moving in the same direction. So um, this guy, he was on a train. I like funny and I like fun. But he was on the train and he, you know, he wanted to get off in Pennsylvania. So when he got on the train, he decided, well, I'm going to go talk to the conductor. So he goes to the conductor and he said, Mr. Conductor, he said, I'm a really sound sleeper. He said, I just have to get off in Pennsylvania. He said, I can't get off anywhere else, but please do whatever it takes. I am a sound sleeper. When I start to sleep, he said, it's almost impossible to wake me up. I might hit you. I might get mad at you. I might fight you. He said, but get me off the train. So the guy wakes up, and all of a sudden, it says New York City. So he gets up, and he goes to find Mr. Conductor. Mr. Conductor, and he gives him a yelling and a shouting and, you know, just the best of what he has. And this woman is standing there, and she's watching him. And then she goes to the conductor after he's done, and she said, Mr. Conductor, she said, I I'm so sorry that that man had to talk to you that way. She said, I and I don't know why he was so mad. He said, you think he's mad? You should have seen the guy we put off in Pennsylvania. So, all right. So, good. Got you laughing. I, I wanted you engaged with me this morning. So, Father God, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege, Father, to speak a word in due season. God, I thank you that um, as I open my mouth, Jesus, you be the vessel, Holy Spirit. I be the vessel, Holy Spirit. You be the speaker. And God, I just thank you. Open our hearts, God, that even myself, Father, that we would receive from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, they, in South America, in Africa, in Asia, there's a story, whether it's true or not, you know, my husband and my sons, they're hunters, and they do trapping and all of this, but this one story, it, it talks about monkey, it's the monkey trap, anyone heard of the monkey trap? Yep. So they'll, you know, they'll get like a gourd or like a coconut. In Latin America, they use coconuts. They got coconut trees. So they use these coconuts. They put just a, a size hole in there large enough for that monkey to get his hand in the hole. And once, you know, they, they chain it down, they weight it down so the monkey just can't get his hand in the hole, pick it up and run off because monkeys are smart. But not so smart, because what the monkey does as they trick it to get its hand into that hole, and there's rice or there's bananas, whatever it is that a monkey eats, just some monkey food. The monkey goes in there and he puts his hand in there, and as his hand is in there, he open, you know, he's grabbing that prize in there. And when he tries to get his hand out, well, what's happening in there? He can't get it out. So the monkey is trapped. And oftentimes today, the, the message that I'm bringing to you this morning is breaking free of offense. That's where we're going to go with this. So oftentimes, you know, I'm that monkey in that moment, he's too foolish enough to realize that his whole future is at stake for the sacrifice of that one little piece of food, one little prize that he is just saying, you know, this is worth me possessing. Now he is stuck. And oftentimes in life, we can get stuck in the very same way when we hold on to something, whether it's bitterness, anger, resentment, you know, whatever hurts from our past, you know, that person didn't talk to me, this person didn't talk to me, whatever it is, there's a lot of times that we can be like that monkey and holding to choose to hold on to something, we become entrapped. So what we're going to talk about this morning um, is offense. And Jesus says, in Matthew 24, verse 12 in the Amplified, so this is Jesus talking, and he says, just before the end of the day, just before I come back, he said, many will be offended, 
and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him, God, whom they ought to trust and obey. They will stumble, key word here, they, they will stumble, they will fall away and betray one another, and they will pursue one another with hatred. So this is Jesus, and I like to pay attention to what Jesus talks about. You know, his last words were, go and make disciples. So here he's saying, I'm telling you, before I come back, here's going to be the state of, of what is the church. He was not talking to unbelievers in this verse, because if you go on to see the remainder of the verse, you'll say, he who endures to the end. Now, the ones who are running the race that we call Christendom and Christianity, it's you and I, our believers. It's not unbelievers that he's talking to. They're not in the race. Um, offense, offended, you know, every variable of this word as I was preparing for this and as I was researching, I have found over 213 scriptures that represents this in the word of God. In the Greek, the word is defined scandalon, and it means a stick for a bait or a trap, a sneer, a stumbling block, the word offense. It's also um, a trigger of a trap or a mechanism closing a trap down on the unsuspecting victims. So my husband, he traps raccoons. And, you know, so if they get into that trap, they can't get out. But what's enticing is something that they want to possess. So if you're walking down a road and you see a rock in the road, what will you do? Like a huge boulder that's just sitting there. It's either you're going to climb over it, you're going to get around it, you're, you're going to find, you know, try to find an alternate rock. But if you're walking down the road and you just see like a pebble or just like a little stone, have anyone ever tripped over a little stone? It's the little things, because it's not the most obvious things that's going to get us, you know, falling down. It's not that somebody's going to, like that guy on the train that goes cusses the conductor out, that's going to cause him to, to, you know, be offended. It's oftentimes the things that we least suspect. We're not even aware of it. So there is thousands of reasons that you can find to be offended, to be in strife, to be in hurt with someone. Today, I'm just going to cover a few of them, four of them. Okay, so these are four things that I have found personally. So the word comes to me first before I ever bring it to anyone else. So these are things that God has been, you know, showing me in my walk with Jesus. I've been walking with him now almost 25 years. I'm, I'm young in God. And these are things that I am learning to consistently take out from my way of thinking. So number one, recogni in recognizing four common things that can cause offense in our life. We want to recognize that people are perfectly imperfect. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 teaches us that remember that there's no one on earth so righteous as to do good only and to never make a mistake. So if you've met a perfect person, if I met you and you are Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, I'll run from you because I'll think you're Satan. I would. Yeah, because, and oh, I'll think you're like, like a demon or something. I don't know what I will think, but let me tell you, if you're perfect, I, I kind of like, I don't want you in my circle. Because here's what the Word of God, I, I'm very transparent. There's nothing in my life that's hidden. I've got four people in my life, my four children from 25 to 13, that they're the evidence of my life in walking with God. They're, they're my evidence. So they're the, the ones that I leave an example for. So I, I leave everything out before them because I don't want my children hidden and living a life in shame. So I will run from you if you're perfect, because the Bible says that only Satan disguises himself as an, you know, as an angel of light. All right, number two, offended people offend others. Offended people offend people. So every person is carrying. You have walked in here today, and there's something that you're carrying into this room. 
There is. There's something that might have happened to you in your past. There's something that might have happened to you last night, this morning before you left the house. Most people end up fighting right before they walk into church. And I believe that those fights start because the enemy is trying to just mess with your soil so when you come in here, the seed doesn't have a place to land. Because if you come in here all anxious and all mad and fighting before you come in, you come in church and you put the church face on. Your heart is still dealing with stuff. So, okay, so people who are hurting, they're going to hurt others. You know, hurt people hurt people. But it, we're not recognizing because, you see, we, we have to give grace and space. Pastor's always saying give grace and space, grace and space, Mira. I was like, okay, grace and space. So I'm learning how to do that. But when we place ourselves alongside somebody else um, that are dealing with issues from their past experiences, we're setting ourselves up to be hurt right away. Okay, it's just like someone coming alongside you with your past junk. They're setting themselves up too. Proverbs 19 verse 11 teaches us, and it says, um, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is in a person's glory, it's in his glory, his or her glory, to overlook an offense. So we want to be people that overlook the faults of others. So uh, my, my whole family is sitting in this room. My sister, I haven't seen her yet, um, but I asked permission before I shared this. When we were growing up, we, um, my grandmother raised me for almost the first 13 years in my life. I was 13 years old when I came to the United States. So my life would not be the same if Nanny didn't raise me. In fact, I'm so grateful that she raised me. But when I was young, I felt, listen, I was very much abused by her, and I didn't know that I was being abused, okay? Like, I'll tell you a very personal story. One day, because I wanted to see um, this movie, I was... In my first year of high school, I was 11 back home. And I wanted to see a movie with my aunt. Um, it was called Children of a Lesser God, the year that that came out, so you, you'll know exactly when that was if you go Google that. And Nanny was like, you know, because I've always had this love to hang out with women that were older than me, because she raised me. See, so I, I love women. That's my first ministry is to minister to women. Um, and she didn't want me to go, so I'm in the shower, and she was so angry at me that she pulls me out and wails me with a belt from neck downwards. Okay, so it was a few days before I could even lay on my back. And um, she did the best that she knew how to do. So as I got older, you know, I never had Nanny to, I, I would sleep in that one little cot with her, you know, up until I was, up until I left home. Um, there wasn't a lot of embracing. There wasn't a lot of hugging. There wasn't, I, I don't even think I remember her telling me she ever loved me. But one day I was hurting so bad, and I remember she came into my room, and I turned my back so she wouldn't know that I was crying. I turned my back from her. I was 20, 20 years old when this happened, and I heard her say, she's like, Lord, it hurts me that my child hurts. It hurts me, God, to see my daughter hurting. Because yeah, I was her baby. And it was only until that time, from 12 to 11 to 20 years old, that I realized she loves me. Because you see, when I heard, I cry out to God. So my sister and I are sitting across from Sweet Frogs in Smithfield. We're getting ready to go buy hibachi chicken. I love hibachi food. And uh, Ash is sitting in there, and Ash is hurting. She is like, you know, Nanny was just, she wasn't good. And, and I said to her, I said, Ash, she did the best that she could. And then I took Asha through the background of Nanny's life, and it was a hard life. It was a really hard life. And when she saw that, peace and forgiveness started coming in. 
See, we cannot hold people accountable. We're not God. We can't hold them accountable for the things that they do if they don't know what they're doing. So it's grace and space. Overlooking may mean that you have to put the pause button on for a moment in your life and say, God, you know, what is it that they're facing that's causing this reaction between me and them? And we have to learn to let it go. So three is having unmet expectations and disappointments in our lives. So we all have set up standards in our lives um, on how to act and how to do certain things in a certain way, you know, ways that could appease others. And, and we get upset when it's not done our way. We become hurt, angry, frustrated, annoyed. We become offended. We choose it. Happiness is a choice. Trust me on that. Happiness is a choice. A biblical example of this is John the Baptist. And this is perhaps one of my favorite things when the Lord showed me this word, I was like, oh, that's so good. And I'm so excited to share that with you. While John was sitting in prison, and perhaps he started thinking, I don't know, I wasn't there. I'm not there to talk to him, but I see scripture. He's probably started, you know, thinking and thinking to himself. You see, when you're alone and abandoned and you're feeling abandoned, these thoughts, you can't control where your thoughts, my mentor tells me, you can't control where thoughts come from. They come from without you, but you absolutely can control what you choose to do with the thoughts. So as John is sitting in there, you know, he's probably thinking, you know, I baptized this guy. Was it really him? Was that really Messiah? Um, And he gave way to his thoughts because here's how we know this in Scripture. Scripture reveals what John's actions were. He went ahead and he sent out his disciples. He said, I want you to go to Jesus, and when you get there, say this to him. So Matthew 11, verse 3, and... um, saying the disciples saying to Jesus it says are you the one who is to come or should we look for another you see eight chapters back eight chapters in the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter three we see that this is the same John that was there when the heavens opened and the father declared this is my son in whom I'm well pleased If we go back to the story, Jesus was healing and doing all of these wonderful things, and John knew this. But you see, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? He sure loves you because he knows everything. He knows our inward motives. He knows everything. And here we see that Jesus knew that John was setting setting himself up and was getting in the place of offense because Jesus said, go back to John. And then he declared prophecies that John knew were coming to pass right in front of his eyes, but seemed to have forgotten. He said, go back to John and go tell him what you hear and what you see, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, that leopards are cleansed, that the deaf they hear, and the dead are being raised up, and the poor have now the good news being preached to them. And here's in verse 6 what I want you to lay a hold of. Remember I said that Jesus knew John's motives he knew his heart he said and blessed is the one who is not offended by me so he speaks to john's heart condition immediately he speaks to john and in our thinking he's saying john don't take that bait don't take the bait Um, one of the required readings that i now have in place for our staff team here at victory church is that every year in january i've told all of them it is my expectation for you as a staff of victory church to read The Bait of Satan by, by John Bevere. If you have not gotten that book in your life, I promise you it is a life changer. But remember, we, just want, we don't want to just read and put it away. It is a life changer. Over almost 15 years ago, I, someone, you know, I saw that being advertised, and I got a hold of it, and I read it every year. 
and it has changed my life. And I promise you, God is going to use it to change yours. Don't just be a hearer of the word. So many a time we will find that we become offended in a moment when our expectations of others are not met. But if we stop to consider and recall, especially in our loved ones, recall memories that are good and factual memories, it will diminish the chance of you becoming offended, right? And another, number four, lack of the rooted word in our lives. So Psalms 119, verse 165, this is most quoted in church. You know, there's such great peace and well-being um, that comes to the lover of God's word, to your word, and they will never be offended. See, so when I get upset with somebody, I'm like, Lord, I ain't loving your word so much today. That's, that's what comes because it's the word. The words fills us. In Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the seed that was thrown on a rocky ground. And he said, you know, they love the word when they hear it. They receive the word with joy and gladness. He said, but when trials and distress comes, they're ready to walk. You know, our trials and distresses, when I get offended at my brother here, am I ready to walk out of that relationship because I'm upset with him? Am I ready to walk away from God? But it's telling me if I have the word rooted inside of me, I have no, I've given no room for the enemy, so he's got to go. You know, so we must take time, beloved, to develop the word of God. You have to discipline yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. We can preach heaven down, and you can see fire and Holy Spirit show up here and people laid out all beside you. But when you walk away, don't be like the rocky soil. Go get some for yourself. Okay, if you want, if you want what the Bible have, you've got to do it the Bible way. So um, four things that we tend to do when we become offended with others. Okay, remember I'm speaking to myself. These are four things that, I, uh, that, that my brain wants to do, but we're led with the Spirit of God. We tend to withdraw and avoid people. Proverbs 18.1, and this is the Amplified Bible, it says, He who willfully separates and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire. One, ver- one you know, translation says his own selfish desire. And this is a pretext for you to receive no wise counsel. Your ears kind of shut down and you can't hear anything good. So don't, don't get into a place where you shut yourself off from people. We tend to pull away from others when we become offended. We think that this is the best way not to have a confrontation. We avoid them, avoid conversations, um, Go to very, having very shallow conversations with them. How are you doing? How's the weather? Good. Okay, good to see you. Bye. We do that for people. All right? So avoidance is wrong. Withdrawal, doubly wrong. Um, because the only desire that that has is to protect yourself. So if you're trying to protect yourself from offense, your ego has been scratched somewhere. Somebody's touched something. You know, I, I've got, I, I work with, a, with the most amazing, I love, when I tell you I love what I do, I love what I do. I get up every morning, and my kids know, they'll tell you, I love it. I'm so privileged to do what I do. We're not perfect. The staff team and I, we're not perfect. And we rub each other, but we're so healthy when we do it, because we give room for it. I hear you. I appreciate that. Pastor has to tell me something, you know, Mary, you got to step up here or do something here. I, I listen. And if I have to disagree. I said, Pastor, I, disre- I respectfully disagree, not disrespectfully. I respectfully <laughs> disagree with that. And we meet. You see, we don't, I don't run around and avoid. And if I'm not ready to talk, I'll say, you know, I know this is an issue. Let me compose myself, compose my thoughts. And we give each other room. We give each other room. Number two, 
So part of being, you know, you know that you're an offense when you are an overly sensitive person. So people that are offended, oftentimes they have a chip on their shoulders. They become overly sensitive and they're quick to misinterpret something that is said or done in innocence. Okay? Proverbs 11:12, and this goes back to ego. Proud men end in shame, but the meek ones become wise. So be humble, have a teachable spirit. If somebody's saying something to you, love assumes the best of others, not the worst. And that's me. I've got to constantly tell myself, hey, you know what? That's not a loving thought, Mira. Philippians 4.8, when I was teaching my kids when they were younger, I was like, the whatever verse in the Bible, whatever is good, whatever is true, noble, of a good report. Think of these things. So when people are coming to you and it's not what you want to hear, you're going to be all right. But don't be like that monkey Because I promise you, that monkey is like food or something. I don't know what they're doing with the monkey, but just don't be like the monkey. Um, Three is that we become resentful and we become bitter. So the story, and I'll, you know, um, I'll just tell you the story. In 2 Samuel, from verses, this is one of my favorite stories. So if you have a leadership gift on your life, learn this story and learn it well. Okay? Uh, I'm a leader. I just happen to be a woman. Okay? So I told my husband, I said, you... I don't know what kind of gift you got because I, I feel like I have a man's brain in a woman's body half the times. I think very left brain, you know. But in Second Samuel, from chapters 3 through 18, 13 through 18, tells of the story of Absalom. So Absalom, handsome son, David's son, King David in the Bible. His sister Tamar, beautiful, but their half-brother Amnon, he took up an infatuation with her. And um, the king's advisor bad advisor. This is all leadership stuff. So if you read the story for yourself, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can pull out from that scripture. So many lessons in there. But anyhow, so if you, um, you, David, Absalom, Tamar, now Amnon is the son. And Absalom, you know, loves his sister, but Amnon has an unhealthy love for her. So he tricks her. He gets her in his room. You know, she's bringing food. He pretended he was sick. He rapes her shameful, disgraceful thing. She didn't even want to leave. She's like, it's better for me to stay because what do I do with this? If you ask father, you know, he'll just marry us. But Amnon, all of a sudden, instead of now he used to love her, now he hates her. So he sends her away and she runs to her big brother, Absalom. And Absalom is feeling what a big brother, my big brother loves me and he will protect me. You know, um, he embraces her and he says, it's okay, Tamar. He said, just stay with me. I'll take care of you, but I don't want you to say a thing about it. He's our brother. Now, he didn't want her to say a thing about it. So we go on to read in 2 Samuel, and I think we're at verse 22. I want you to get this. Absalom, now, the Bible says, and you know, when Scripture talks about things in there, pay attention to it. Absalom speaks neither good or bad about Amnon. Goes on to say he speaks good nor bad. Now he has this party. He invites Amnon over. Two years have passed. Remember, we withdraw, and now resentment and bitterness is sitting in. Two years later, he calls his brother to a party at his house. They all drink, they do whatever, and then he kills his brother. All right? He runs for his life. He goes, he runs away from the king, and a few years have passed again. So then the king, David, you know, he's hearing from his advisor, hey, you know, what about this, and should you not bring him home? So he brings his son back home. See, avoidance, here's what avoidance does. So now two, three, three years, that's five. 
Two more years, he comes home and he never sees his father. You think something's wrong with that? So we're up to seven years. And then in the course of time while he was there, so years are passing and now we're at 11 years later. And Absalom still is not dealing with this resentment and this bitterness and this judgment, really, that has set into his heart. See, because I believe firmly because of what Scripture says, 11 years have passed, and now Absalom has set up war against the king's house, his father's house. He's ready to take the throne and kill his father, not just hurt him and dethrone him, to kill his father. But, you know, I love King David because his heart is so, his heart he has a heart after God. Even after that, he's telling his servants, don't touch him and don't hurt my son. But king, your son's killed. Don't touch him and don't hurt my son. Absalom sinned, and he was so defiled with his resentment. He took his father's concubines and went on the rooftop where all Israel could see where he had sex with the king's concubines, his wives, for all of Israel to see. So now he's dishonoring his father's house. He has completely set himself up to hate his father. And his father doesn't want to put his hands to kill him. So Absalom's riding on his horse, and he gets caught up in a tree, and he dies. Okay, you see, because your sins will find you out, and somehow or the other you'll pay for it. You see, because when we're living in, in a way that we want to live and please our own lives, we take ourselves outside of the protection of God. And it's not God's fault. You know, let me say, if you're offended at God, it's not his fault. If you're offended at what he's asking you to do, it's not his fault. Most of the times we get upset because he's asking us to do something that our flesh doesn't want to do. You know, we want to live together. Well, the Bible says it's wrong. We want to have sex outside of marriage because that's good. Because if I don't, this guy's going to leave me. And then we get mad at God when you do it and the guy still leaves you. You're still mad at God. It's not his fault. You see, the other day we're going... Um, I had an appointment for one of my daughters, and I knew she was fighting. She, gave, she told me I could share this if it came out, and it came out. Um, we're going to the doctor, and she's like, I don't want to go to the doctor. Her face is like stone face. And finally, I just say with, with the love that I have for her, do you think it's helping me for you to go to the doctor? How is it benefiting my body and my life? What do I get from it? What does God get if we are obedient to his word? What do you get if you're obedient to his word? You get Bible results, all right? So Absalom, not dealing with the sin in his life, 11 years have passed, he's trying to kill his dad. He, his good looks, his ambition, because he was ambitious because he turned the hearts of the people towards him. He turned it away from his father, talking into their ears. I would hate to be referred to as having a spirit of Absalom. Don't talk about your leaders. Do not do that. Give it to God and let God deal with it. That's a great story in there for you to hear. So Romans 12, 17 through 19, the bottom line of that verse, don't repay evil for evil because vengeance is God. If Absalom had put it in his God's hand, God would have taken care of it. If he had went to his father, dad, you know, why didn't you talk to Amnon? You know, he judged the leadership of his father. He should not have done that. Go read the story yourself. Um, number four, point four on this, we slander and we defame other people. When we are offended and we slip into avoiding those that are offended with us, instead of talking to them, you know, we talk about them. We slander them behind their back saying things that will cause others to carry our offense, and then we say things about others to paint that person in a negative light. 
these days we throw shade, like all of my younger ones say. We throw shade. We get out on social media, guys, sometimes just stay off of it. We throw up little memes, you know, those Kermity Frog memes that you put up. Well, I'll just have another sip of my tea. We throw it out there because we're wanting someone to say, who's messed with you today, Doris? Who is messing with you? And then that's how the rumor mill starts. Don't talk about it out on social media. Go to the person. Psalms, 1, Psalms 101 verse 5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbors secretly, I, God, will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, God says, I will not endure. He'll not put up with us. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. It forgives and it disregards the offenses of others. You know, um, when others are talking badly about someone and you're struggling and you're, uh, you know, you're struggling to hear it, but then you're sitting there in silence. Let me just add this. And you're sitting there silently. You're consenting to whatever it is that they're saying. Years back, I had someone to come up to me and they said, Mira, can I just talk to you? I was like, yeah, sure. And I'm sitting in there and I'm typing um, and doing what I'm doing. And uh, they said, you know, so-and-so, I hate to tell you this, but so-and-so said, this about you. And I stopped them right before they got past the this. I said, you know what? Frankly, I don't care because I wasn't there. I don't care if I'm not invited to the party. I don't have to buy you a gift. I don't think like that. I don't. You, you're hurting yourself because let me tell you, I buy good gifts because I like to get good things. So you don't invite me to your party. I'm good with that. See, I, I don't care what someone says that is not in my presence. There's nothing I can do about that. Okay, we're good with that. But tell me, what did you say as my friend in my defense? So then I said, you know what? And I said it to them. I said, I love you with the love of God, but I could not trust a person like you in my life. See, we kept it real straight. I'm real straightforward. If you get into my life, I'm very straightforward. Because that's not a trustworthy person who's going to sit there and hear someone bash another person and you don't get up, especially Christians, and you don't say, that's wrong. Where is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? Let me tell you what is in the Bible. The Lord said he will destroy those who speaks negatively and hurtful things against their neighbors. Don't do it. Um, breaking free and moving forward. So the hurts in life that we experience are many times it's undeserving. We are going to feel a lot of hurts that might be undeserving in life. And while offenses do come, we have a responsibility for the way that we handle it before God. God gives us choice. You know, I can choose what I want to eat, choose what I want to think, choose what I, I want to do, what I want to say. I can even choose to go to hell. I can. And God, is he is so loving to me that he'll allow me to go there if I wanted to. He's the greatest gentleman that I have ever met because he knocks. He doesn't push past my doors when I'm not ready to go there. But he wants me to move forward. Romans 8, 5 through 9, it tells us, you know, because the bottom line of all of this, if you and I have given ourselves over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we serve a new master. I don't have a right to think. It's like I, somewhere this morning in the service, it's like a doormat, dead. You don't feel anything. And, you know, Wednesday morning I was feeling a kind of how because of something that was happening. 
And I went to the Lord and I just poured my heart out before God. I mean, like I said, Father, this is hurting me. It's hurting me, God. And I don't know what to do with it, but help me, Lord. Help me, help me, because I don't want to sin. And God met me. And I'll tell you later if I have time what he did. Romans 8, verses 5 through 9 in the Passion Translation. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit, the mindset of control by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focus on the flesh fights God's plans and refuses to submit to God's directions because it's just impossible. It, it can't. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by their flesh. So we could come to church and sing our songs and do whatever it is and look real Christian. Look, it, it, we could look real churchy. But if we're not fighting that flesh, it's a daily thing and saying, God, I choose to submit to your plans. God finds no pleasure in us. He doesn't. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He'll never love us any more than he loves us now. He gave his life for us. But we can absolutely please him more in the way that we walk. You love your children. For those parents that are in here, you love your children. I love Isaiah, Hannah, Lee, and Elijah. I, lo- I would lay my life down, but I'm not pleased with them all the time. Some days they can please me more than others, like when I come home and my kitchen's clean. Amen? But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh. But when the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers our life, we are no longer dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. One translation says we are not even Christians if we're dominated by our flesh. Let's be dominated by our spirit. So our responsibility, so as I, I bring this to a close, um, our responsibility is, first of all, to be doers of the word. We want to be students of the word of God. When things happen to us, let's remember the example that scripture gives to us. Praying first allows anger, resentment, ill motives to be placed at the feet of God, like what I was struggling with on Wednesday. The more that we earnestly pray for others, the more our hearts have the capacity and the ability to love others. Luke 23, 34, Father, this is Jesus, forgive these people, Jesus said, for they don't know God what they're doing. Forgive them, Father, forgive them. And here are the people who are mocking him, giving him spit to drink, cursing him. If you're the king of the Jews, you know, come down and save yourself, king. And Jesus, without them even asking for forgiveness, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. And falling to his knees, this is on Acts 7, 60. Scripture has so many examples for us to live by. Acts 7, verse 60. And falling to his knees, this is Stephen, who's considered to be the first martyr in Christianity. He cried out loudly, Lord, fix not this sin upon them, God. Lay it not to their charge. And when he had said this, Stephen fell asleep in death. See, they were stoning him to death. And he's looking around and he's saying, God, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Don't lay it at their charge. They just don't know. You're familiar with the old law in Matthew 5? And I may or may not read all of this, but love your friend. I'm going to read all of it. And it's unwritten companions. Hate your enemy. This is Jesus again. 
Jesus says, I'm challenging that in your life. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. Bring the fight. Come on, bring out the best in me, not the worst. And when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out. You're working out your true selves, the spirit self, the strong self. You're working it out. Your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, bad and good, nice and nasty. If all we do is love the lovable, do you, do you expect a bonus? You expect a bonus when you say to someone out on the street, hey, good morning. Oh, good morning. What's up? That's what he's talking about here. Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those you greet, you expect a medal for it. Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. This is Jesus' words, not Mira's. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others, the way that God lives towards you. You see, pray first because it gets your heart conditioned right. It humbles us. It humbles us. Two is forgive and release. We tend to measure our sins and the offenses of others based on what my motives was. Well, God knows my heart. But I tend to judge you by your actions. Wrong. We tend to forget that we have been forgiven of so much and seem to see what others do as very unpardonable. When we do this, we're saying that we know better. We put ourselves in the place of God. I'm judge. And I'm going to decide who needs punished because I didn't say hello to you or I overlooked you for the job promotion. You know what? If God can trust you with people, he'll promote you. But if you go around in your office and you slander everybody up, he knows that when you get into that place of promotion, you're going to be looking to fire some people. Guess what he's not going to do? Put you in that place if all you intend to do is evil towards others. That was for free. Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35. So Peter got up, and the point of all of this, he's like, you know, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? Jesus said, seven, hardly. Try about 490 times a day. I don't think anybody can sin against you that many times a day. I don't think. They'd be, well, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, the, the servant who went to his master and owing like a billion dollars, bent down because his life and his family's life was now being called out. And he said, you know, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. For, forgive me, master. Forgive me. I'll work and I'll pay it back off. And the master having compassion, he looked at the servant and he said, I forgive the debt. It's gone. A billion dollars. So this servant, no, no sooner had he left the master's present and he's going out there and somebody else that owed him money, like a thousand dollars. Just break it down for, that we can understand it. Where is my money? You owe me $1,000. Where is it? I just don't have it. Can I work and pay? No. And he threw him in jail. He threw him in jail because he couldn't repay back. So here's what Jesus said. Let me find my place back here. The king went to this. So another servant went to the master, and he told the master what had happened. And the king, this is... I don't have the verses marked here, but the king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgive your entire debt when you beg me for mercy. Shouldn't you have been compelled to have mercy on your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was so furious that this translation said he put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly, Jesus is saying, what Father in heaven is going to do for each of, to each of us 
who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercies. And let me add this. Sometimes people are not going to ask for forgiveness. Forgive them anyhow. All right? Um, If we forgive others of their trespasses, we will be forgiven to the extent that we forgive others. So we've got to forgive. And number three here is lovingly confront them. Okay? Uh, My beloved friends, if you see a believer who's overtaken in fault, go to them. Speak restoration. And in in lovingly confronting people, it's not to win a fight. When you got saved, when I got saved, I'll talk about myself. God never came back and said, Mira, you did this, 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 and this. He didn't do that. I never heard that from him. And yet when people come to say, I'm sorry, you know what we do? We set ourselves up with pride and we want to remind them of, well, you know, you shouldn't have said that and you shouldn't have done that. Did God do that to us when we went to him? He didn't do that. You see, because the word says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repent. So have mercy on people, all right? Um, it's like that song, let it go, let it go. I can't hold it back anymore. And then the end of that was that the cold never bothered me anyway. So, all right? The cold doesn't bother us. So action points as I close. Pray, forgive, release, and lovingly confront others. Don't let the little things in life trip you up. And most of the stuff we battle with, it's little things. It's little things. Forget it. 30 years from now, you won't remember it. And settle accounts very quickly with others. So I have some self-reflection questions. Do I expect others? So this is what Mira does when something happens in my world. Do I expect others to do and say what I expect them to do? God's in control, not Mira. Do I have unrealistic expectations for others in my life? How long has it taken me to get over my offensive behaviors? Have I overcome them yet? So I want to have mercy for others. Is it true? What I'm hearing is it true? Is, is you know, Manny's opinion of me, is there any truth to that? If there's no truth to it, you know, your opinion of me doesn't define who I am. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And how much have God forgiven me of? Do I have a God complex with others? Do I want to remind them of every bad thing that they've done? That's not Christ-like. And did I, you know, what has triggered this reaction in my life? Do I have any past hurts or insecurities that are there that God might have to deal with? And did I have a part to play in this? Did I contribute to any of this? If I don't add fuel to a fire, that fire can't grow. All right? And does God love this person just as much as he loves Mira? Beloved, you will never, ever look into the eyes of any person, whether here or out there, that Christ didn't give his life for. You will never look into the soul of somebody else that God doesn't love just as much as he loves you. Learn to let it go.